Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. This week's reviewer of the week is Kenna Jinx, and she says, amazing. I started listening to this podcast after my husband and I decided we wanted to start trying for kids. Just trying. I love that. (laughs) I was finishing up my last pack of birth control. This is the best review. Wait, hold on. Okay. And really just wanted to find something to help me prepare for this amazing journey ahead. I was pleasantly surprised to find this podcast and to realize that there was so much I didn't know about you and everyone else. It's okay. (laughs) I have learned so much from listening to this and I cannot wait to eventually take the birthing course once we are pregnant. Well, Kenna, we're excited for you to have those two little pink lines show up and welcome you into the course. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I love that you and your husband, are both going into this whole experience just eyes wide open excited for what's to come you guys are going to be uber prepared it's awesome we wanted to talk to you guys about something today that i feel like is a good reminder we've discussed bits and pieces of this before in different podcasts but never in one in particular and that's about really how to advocate your birth plan you've heard stephanie and i refer to it sometimes as a birth map right because there can be multiple roads and avenues that get you to your end goal your main destination but sometimes you you may feel like you're getting pushback from a provider. It could be while you're still pregnant. It could be during the birth and the labor itself. And we want you to feel confident knowing how to advocate for yourself. And it's not just for you. Your partner needs to feel comfortable doing the same thing. And so we're going to kind of walk you guys through how to advocate for yourself. What does that look like? What's the background work you need to put into doing that? But we feel like we need to give a disclaimer here. When Stephanie and I created My Essential Birth, We really wanted it to be a connecting piece between women and the birth they want and their providers. We had taught another birth course previously and didn't love that it sort of prepared women for a very us versus them mentality, right? Like you're gonna go into this with your fist up ready for a fight because that's not always what you're going to encounter. We want you to know that we believe healthcare professionals from the nurses and birth assistants to the doctors and midwives, they mean well. They're doing what they think is best for you and your baby. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I do. Yes, I agree. I don't think that when you get pushback on your birth plan that somebody's like out there all malicious, like, (laughs) let me see how I can derail her plan today. Like nobody's out there to get you like that. That's not their attitude. However, there are differences in birthing philosophies. That's just kind of a matter of fact. And so you may view birth as a very normal biological process and something you're built to do. And you may be working with an obstetrician, and we've talked about this before too, who looks at birth through the lens of um, this is a medical procedure. Right. And obviously, both of you coming from a very different place, you're you're not always going to see eye to eye on things. And so we want you to know that they are, they're people. They work really long hours. They work really hard. They're trying to do what they think is best for you and your baby to both get through this experience safely and just know that it may be different than what you think is best. And so that kind of goes on to the, so if you're someone that's creating a birth plan, it's likely that you're kind of 
of going against the norm of what that <laughs> provider is seeing, at least in a hospital setting. Yes. Right. Because most women who are creating a birth plan have some specific things in mind, whereas a lot of women that come into the hospital without a birth plan and the majority of people that this provider is seeing might not have some of those things on there. They're just used to the routine of what they do and how they handle pregnancy and birth. And and that's OK. Um, but this is that's why. It's such an important topic. Yeah, because without a birth plan, you're basically saying, I'm fine with whatever, however you normally do things here. And if you're coming in with a birth plan, you're like, there are some things that I want to go a certain way, even if it's not the norm. And so it's anticipated then that you might get some pushback. So all that to say, you need to head into a birthing experience, particularly at the hospital with a certain mindset. It's likely that you're going to get some pushback. You need to be prepared by knowing where we commonly see that happen happen and what that looks like. And you need to know enough about birth that for what constitutes a true emergency. And when we're talking about true emergency versus the like emergency where you don't have a choice, right? Like there are some medical things that happen during birth that may or may not be necessary for your specific situation. In other words, there are different routes that you can take to get to that end goal safely, no matter which way you go. Um, some will be more gently and less gently recommended by a provider. And then there's the emergencies where it's like, nope, sorry, we love and respect you, but you're here and we're here to take care of you. And there's 10 doctors in here now and we're going to take care of what we need to take care of. And you have to trust us to do that. That's different. So we're going to go over the like, you need to have enough knowledge to know is this going to you know, cause harm in any way if I say yes or no to this? That's what we're talking about. So one that justifies a change in your plan. Exactly. And when something isn't a true emergency, you need to be prepared and armed with information. You need to be firm in your mind and able to confidently advocate for yourself because you do get to choose. When it's not an emergency, you get to choose. You don't have to follow a prescribed treatment plan you're the consumer here, right? This isn't um, this isn't your typical doctor-patient relationship because you're not going in with like a problem. Mm-hmm. You're going in with I'm a healthy woman having a healthy baby for that's going to be for most of you. So you're the consumer and you you have choice. So here is um, the first thing you need to be able to do in order to effectively advocate for yourself. You need to clearly communicate your birth plan to anyone who will be involved so that if there's pushback, you can know that early on and if necessary, switch providers. Okay, so how do we know if our provider is going to honor the birth plan? And the best way that you can do this, right? And we kind of joke like, ask a lot of questions and let them put their foot in their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Or in other words, get to like know where your provider's head is with some of this stuff. And the only way you're going to get there is by asking a ton of good educated questions. So it's funny because we have a free download that you can access It's um, the best questions to ask your OB, best questions to ask a midwife, two separate sets of questions because they're kind of different, right? And when I was reading over those in preparation for this podcast, I was like, no, no, I've got way better questions than when we originally (laughs) wrote this because I feel like um, those, those that are on there, they may not quite get to the heart of how your provider really feels about something. So I thought long and hard about this. And here are some examples of things that we think could help you really sort of vet this out. Um, So here's a question. Aside from asking about their 
rate of cesarean or that doctor's specific induction rate, you could ask something like, of the however many percent of women who you induce, what are the most common reasons that you're inducing for? You could ask the same thing kind of with cesareans, right? And here's what you need to be on the lookout for. If they're saying, well, if you're past your due date, or if I think your baby's getting too big for you, um, what else do we hear, Steph? Maternal age. Don't get me started with that one. Right. So if they're like, oh, well, you are advanced maternal age. And I, you know, if you're going over 39 weeks, we usually, those are sort of not really emergency situations. Going past your due date, just barely past 40 weeks, that's not really a true emergency. We've talked a ton about due dates, right? We have a whole podcast episode about it. Um, the big baby one, I always think is Stephanie. She's this <laughs> cute, tiny, petite girl whose baby's birth weights were much bigger than mine. Still tiny. Still tiny. <laughs> and uh, you guys probably remember the infamous comment that her first provider made to her about yes. shoe size. Yes. Right? Yeah. That size five and a half shoe and smaller typically have cesarean births. <laughs> not a fact. Not a fact. And I feel like we get a lot of DMs about this. Hey, I'm I'm X amount of weeks along and my baby's measuring, you know, seven pounds, however many ounces on the ultrasound. And I'm just worried my doctor is going to start to talk about induction or they already have started talking about induction. These are sort of red flag induction scenarios, right? So right. if you ask this question of the percentage of women who you induce, what are the common reasons that you're inducing? Like, what are you inducing for? And they say any of those things that we just listed, that's that's not what you want to hear. <laughs> so, um, however, if they respond with something like, well, if we're starting to see preeclampsia, consistently high blood pressure, protein in the urine, um, maybe they say, well, if you're about to go past 42 weeks, that's kind of outside of my comfort zone. Or if they listen to baby and we've got poor fetal heart tones, to me, those would be legitimate reasons for induction. And so if that's how they responded, I'd be like, okay, cool. All right. So let's go over some other questions and what those red flags would be. And then what the, the good ones are. <laughs> yeah. So when's the last time you had a client that successfully had a planned unmedicated birth? And I would include whatever that looks, a client like me. So whatever your yes. me is, um, I'm healthy, low risk. It's my first time having a baby. How often does a client like me go unmedicated? In addition to that question, you could ask something like, are you aware of what resources they use to prepare? Like what did they use to prepare? And the reason I think it's helpful to ask this is because if they're actually paying attention, like if they do get a lot of um, clients who are coming in and having a planned unmedicated birth kind of in your similar situation, they're going to know what those women have done to prepare, oh, I have a lot of um, patients who use this doula, right? Or I've noticed that a lot of them have doulas coming and that seems really helpful. They all take the My Essential Birth course. <laughs> I've noticed all my clients have graduated from the My Essential Birth course. And then another question you could ask on top of that are, what are some things you do to help them make that happen? So I actually asked this last question when I was pregnant with my first baby and kind of interviewing this provider. And um, I went over my birth plan with him. This is what I want. I want an unmedicated birth and um, asked him how often he saw that. And he was like, yeah, I, I actually see that. It's not the most common, but, you know, and he gave me kind of a rough percentage. And when I asked him, what are some things that you do to help me reach that goal? Like, what do you do to help facilitate that? He was really honest. He's like, look, I'm not usually in there until you're pushing. But here's what I do when you're pushing. And he talked about things that he does to help me stretch more easily, stretch more 
naturally. We talked about, can I push in whatever position I want to? He's like, yeah, that's fine. You can do that. So I liked hearing that he was on board to help me make that happen too. That would be a fine response. But what would be a red flag response to this? Um, the uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or if they say the hospital class, because they're lying, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, for the most part, who's taking a hospital class. Alone. <laughs> Right, is, is by like, itself. That was the reason that I went unmedicated. It's yeah. unlikely. And you know, there are some, I would say in our area too, especially, there are some decent hospital classes and there yes. are women who teach other um, birthing methods that come in and teach at the hospital. And so they may be referring to that as a hospital class and that's different because those are going to be better as well. Right. But the good patient hospital classes, the ones that teach you nothing about how to work with your body and everything about what's going to happen to you at the hospital, those are not the ones that are going to help you go unmedicated. So basically, you know, your doctor's lying if they, say oh I think they used the one through the you know the here's what we're going to do to you type class you're lying man you're not seeing that but it is fine if they say um birthing in any position or having a doula or I'm not there the whole time but we'll make sure that the nurses stick to your birth plan you know that those are excellent responses all right another great question to ask if this applies to your situation is what's your stance on VBAC which is vaginal birth after cesarean right um we've done an Instagram post about this before but Steph what are the red flags yeah the I'll let you try We'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that was like one of them that I got from several providers. It's the reason I birthed out of hospital and had a baby at my home is because the doctor, the the hospital themselves, when I called L and D and labor and delivery, and I was like, I this is my situation. I've had um, a successful VBAC before. I'm going to be living here at this time. What what does that look like for you guys? Oh well, we're really excited to have you here because we want to see what that looks like. Basically, was their response, and I was oh, like, gosh. nope. No. I no. I know how I labor. I know what my births do I'm not going to be the test subject for you guys and end up with a cesarean birth so yeah those are awful also the I require a test epidural we just Can got we this not? one I didn't even know that was a thing until we had somebody message us about that you have I, I have and it's disgusting a test ep- what does that mean a test epidural that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard I feel like and, and when this was explained I want to make sure I understand this correctly what they're saying is if you've had a prior cesarean when you show up at the hospital in labor we're going to administer an epidural Mm -hmm. why can you help me understand why are they doing that do you know why because they're jerks I don't know there's no good reason to do that if you run (laughs) if you hear this you run and you let all the other mamas know who that doctor was that didn't come from me that is not okay I just feel like they're setting you up to have another cesarean then like (laughs) let's make sure because make sure we can get you numb (laughs) right so I think my thing is if you had a cesarean before let's say it's because your your birth stalled or whatever don't you think that you could run into the same problem if you don't have freedom of movement because you're in bed because you have an epidural well and don't you think that if you had a cesarean birth you've had a successful epidural before what are we talking about test epidurals for I don't know disgusting obviously it's another big red flag if they say something like you know um VBAC we just it's really safest for you to continue to have a repeat cesarean because Uh of xyz reason okay I was I didn't list that one initially but I hope that would be a red flag or we usually induce just be aware if you make it to 39 weeks then we will talk about induction which by the way induction is the number one way to have a repeat cesarean right so all of those are on the uh don't touch me I'm gonna find another provider list yeah and so you can even you might have to dig deeper to get that response to that last question so hey um do you require induction at a certain week if I'm you know going for a VBAC oh yeah at 39 weeks we require 
anybody to do that. Again, that's another runaway. That's not the right <laughs> provider for you scenario. Now, if they respond with totally, it's actually safe for you for you to have a VBAC, let's do it. Okay. Right. Yeah. And obviously you're going to hopefully be asking tons of questions, not just to your provider, but to those around you to be able to find a provider that's comfortable yep. with this. I think a lot of times we don't um, realize we're going to come up against some of the challenges that we do when we go into these new provider situations. Say it's your first time meeting with somebody after you had your cesarean birth and you're meeting with that first provider on your next pregnancy. There's a good chance you might not be prepared for the kind of pushback that you're going to get. And it really is off-putting. And it, you're kind of like, whoa, it's, yeah. it's shocking. And it's probably not one just one provider that you're going to have to go through. There's probably going to be a few and a lot of you reaching out and asking your community for help to be able to find somebody that really supports that. So heads up that that's a thing. You, you can absolutely find somebody. You can absolutely have your V back, but it's a little more work. And this is why. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Another question. And these are just some examples, right? Are you cool with me eating and drinking during labor? A red flag response to this would be nope. <laughs> or um, usually just clear fluids, maybe a popsicle or something like that. No, the a fine answer to this question would be for sure, but maybe try to stick to light snacks, nothing too heavy. Like I would be okay with that response. Right. You know, I'm not going to be downing a Big Mac when I, I don't think you're going to want to anyway, but I don't know. Women are different. I, right? Well, and my big thing is when I, at least with doula clients and I'm telling my moms is like, since you don't know necessarily sometimes what you're going to run into at the hospital, even if your provider seems cool with that or whatever, maybe it's the hospital that has their own policies or the nurses that don't love to do some of that. And so I think it's really important to like have a nice, strong meal before you head in, right? The yeah. protein, carbs, fat, a, like a good amount of it, something hearty. Um, but on top of that, I think it's really important that at, we're talking about these questions and you're taking them on individual basis. Now, you're not going to base your entire experience off of the answer to one question, right? This is like you have to know the questions, not the one question to ask so that you can form a general opinion about how this is going to go with this provider. Because I'll tell you right now, if the rest of those were good and they're telling me no, they're just clear fluids, but I loved everything else about it. Yeah. OK, I'm going to pack snacks in my bag, stay quiet about it. Yeah. And I'm going to be happy with the rest of my birth. You know what I mean? Right. So. Yeah, exactly. So some of these are deal breaker questions for yes. me. Like if the answer to can I have, you know, I'd like to have a VBAC is right. no, it's really best for you to have a repeat. Cesarean. obviously, that's a deal Peace. breaker. Yeah. Right. But you're right. <laughs> Things like um, the eating and drinking during labor. Basically, what we're trying to see here is this a provider that follows evidence-based information? Are they up on things? Are Is their birth philosophy the same as yours? Remember, this is all how to effectively advocate for yourself. And the first step is to clearly communicate your birth plan. And that's right. what these questions are for. Yeah. And I was, and so the first step before that, right, is to have a vision for your birth. Yes. Like this is where we're always going to bring you back. Like, what are you looking for? What do you want? And then you have to be able to write it out like black and white. These are the things that are most important to me. And if you're in the birth course, this is, you'll get to this what what lesson is that what chapter of that and anyways in one of our classes in one of the lessons you're going to play what's called the birth plan priority game and this is going to help you it's going to bring you through all the things that can happen during your birth and it's going to take you on an exercise that helps you get to that place where you're like okay if these three things happen this was successful for me these are the other things that I really really want but if these three things I can stick to these this matters and that's going to look different from one birth to the next for me I'm a VBAC mom like having somebody that's supportive of VBAC and not having to have an IV or not have a test epidural, for me, that's really important. 
those are really important things. But for Courtney, she might be like, no, I'm, I'm good with the with the IV and, you know, we'll move on to whatever. So it, it matters. You're advocating for your birth plan. And I, right. anyways, just wanted to bring that back to like, this is all about you. And back to our reviewer of the week. I, I love that we have so many people tuning in who aren't quite pregnant yet or are yes. working on it. And can Guys you are ahead see, of the game. <laughs> right? Can you see the value though, if you're trying to get with the right provider as soon in your pregnancy as possible, and we're telling you that you need to have a vision for that birth and maybe even a birth plan done up in order to help your find the right provider. Can you see the value of jumping in to a birth course and getting yourself educated before that point? There's right. nothing wrong with hopping into a birth course when you're 30, 36 weeks. That's fine. But there is value to jumping in sooner. It just can help you make sure you're with the right person ahead of time, which is why I feel like out of a lot of the topics that we cover, we really do try not to hold anything back on this particular topic, finding the right, right. provider, because we want you to do that. We want you to use the podcast and also the birth course, but mainly the podcast to help you get hooked up to that person sooner rather than later. So communicating your plan to your provider isn't limited to in-hospital providers. It's a bit more rare, but there are some out-of-hospital midwives who may give some pushback on stuff. Um, case in point, some midwives may transfer care if you've been laboring for longer than 24 hours and they just feel like, you know, I've done what I can for you and I'm ready to send you on to somebody new. So here are some a couple other questions that you can ask a midwife to try to dig deeper to see if that's a belief that she holds on to that, you know, after a certain point, I'm throwing in the towel, I need to get you to other people, you need to be able to vet them as well. So some questions might look like, what is your transfer rate of the patients who are like me? I love that you add that. How often are we having to be transferred, have our care transferred to the hospital during labor or after labor? And you may want to specify between those two as well, because during labor is usually related to different things than after labor, mm -hmm. right? So you want to ask about transfer rates. Um, you want to know, do they accept VBAC clients? It's best not to assume that. I mean, obviously it should be in your history, right? Right. But you want to make sure of that too. Well, and you'd put on here, for which reasons do you transfer? What does the process look like? Do you stay with me? Do you not? Um, I know for Courtney and I, uh, uh, the majority of births, all of the births that I had been to that had a midwife, the midwife always transferred with the couple because that was mm -hmm. the constant. That was the thing that could stay consistent when they went to this new place and were all the bright lights and people that they, they didn't know, this couple. Um, and then we found some midwives that don't transfer. And I'm like, ooh, I I wouldn't be comfortable with that. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's important to ask those kinds of questions because you don't want that to come up during a transfer. Oh, wait, you're not coming with me? What? Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's really, those are great questions to ask. Yeah, I just had a doula client and you know, there's a limited number of people in a hospital setting right now. And I said, in the event of a transfer, she was birthing out of hospital. Um, is your midwife planning to come in and act as your doula? Or are you wanting me to go through? And she's like, oh, no, she she just passes me off. You know, at least I, she knew. Yeah, she knew. <laughs> but that's like helpful information right. to have ahead of time. And that's a good point, too. If you have a midwife that you know is not going to transfer with you, I would recommend having a doula. Definitely. In the event of transfer, you want somebody who has seen the birth process from beginning to end, because what happens is during a transfer, the midwife has to give all of the medical information, all the paperwork, all the everything that she's kept track of this whole time. It transfers with her to the hospital that's required to go. But if she's not there to explain certain things, the doula
doula can. And I have been that doula. And so having somebody that's seen the entire birth process that isn't the birthing woman having to go through the information, that matters. So I would recommend having a doula for a midwife that transfers without her. Exactly. So, and I love that you added this. So you need a vision for your birth. You need to have a birth plan. You then need to communicate that plan effectively to anybody who's going to be involved in your birth space and try to vet them and make sure you're with the right people. Once you've done that, now we're kind of going to get into um, pedal to the metal, like when push comes to shove. Even when you've done your best to vet that provider, communicate your plan, there may be times when you feel pressured into procedures or pressured into abandoning parts of your birth plan. And we want to walk you through what to do in those instances. So number two, we want you to know your stuff. This is going to be super important. In other words, if you're saying no to an induction at 40 weeks, you're going to want to be confident in backing that request up. So in other words, if you're saying no to an induction at 40 weeks, you want to be really confident in backing that request up. Um, Having the research helps and the knowledge behind it. So obviously that's what we cover in the birth course. You're probably grabbing a lot of that from the podcast as well. But When you're going to say something like that, you've got to be confident about your decision. Exactly. So if they're saying, well, you know, um, your provider would like to schedule an induction for you because at this point you'll be 40 weeks in a few days or whatever. And you need to be able to say, no, I'd prefer not to do that. I know that I'm a first time mom and the average for first time moms is 41 weeks in one day. So I think we should wait at least until then. And, um, and just, you know, assume the sale, right? That's part of a sales (laughs) thing. Just say, no, we're not going to be doing that. Here's what we are going to be doing. And if they then give you some pushback, that's when you can kind of compromise or negotiate a little bit. Well, you know, if you're more comfortable, I can come in for a non-stress test in a few days. But I really do think that if the average is 41 weeks in one day, I should be allowed to go at least till that point. Right. And I think this is something that our Facebook, the private community does really well because it's really helpful. Anyways, you might go in and have all that knowledge and information. You might go in probably feeling pretty confident about that. But the second they bring up some other information, anyways, it gets your mind thinking and you get a little less confident. And so I love that the moms will ask in the Facebook group, they're like, okay, this is my situation. And you've got other moms who have been like, well, what's the problem or what, you know, where's this medical, whatever, or Courtney and I can jump in and it's like, well, here's what you need to know. Here's the benefits. Here's the risks. What do you want to do? We get those questions about everything. It's induction, it's side attack, it's, you know, all the things. And it's just giving you the information. And it's so helpful to have a third party. Like that's one of the reasons I loved having a doula. Yeah. She just kind of threw that information there. You're like, oh yeah. Like it like puts you back into your space of like, wait, I knew that. And yeah, I don't want this. Why am I letting this get into my head and go that direction? So I think all that's really helpful. And this is where, do you guys remember that brain acronym, right? Benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, know or need more time. If they're saying, we're going to schedule your induction a few days out, that's not an emergency situation. And it's okay for you to say no, or I need some time to think about that. I'll call back in with my decision. It's okay to say that. You know where those non-emergent times happen more than often is when it's getting closer to the weekend, right? (laughs) Yes. You're either getting forced into an induction or it can wait. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you need to be able to, along these same lines, this is number three, practice your response. The first time you have this conversation where you're practicing sort of defending something like this can't be in the moment, right? And I will say that you and your birth partner need to kind of role play your response to some of these scenarios out loud. Um, Your partner, because they may be the one that's doing the interfacing during the actual birth. So here are some things that we see pretty commonly. 
um, and some new ones that make us chuckle a little bit and roll our eyes. So we're going to discuss some things that you can do and say to deal with these that um, we're going to provide sample scenarios and we'll talk about how you're going to deal with those, some things that you can say, and we're going to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Because, yeah, and Stephanie is particularly good at this. She can really get into the mindset of making something sound like, I don't know. So here's one of the things we'll say, well, they made it sound so like urgent and that if I wasn't going along with what they were saying that I was putting my baby in danger, even though that's not really the case. And so... Stephanie, I don't know, you like channel your inner, (laughs) my inner angry nurse assistant. (laughs) And you guys know that we have so much love for healthcare providers. Labor and delivery nurses are some of our favorite people. I'll just channel my inner Karen. Let's do this. (laughs) Be the Karen. All right. So here's the scenario. Um, Your baby's getting big and we recommend induction because this baby is just going to be far too big for you to push out. I mean, you're what, 35, 36 weeks and they're already measuring over seven and a half pounds. Do you know what that will do to you trying to push that baby out if you wait until body, your body goes into labor on its own? Um, I'm curious where you're getting their, how big they are. Uh, well, the ultrasound is telling us this and, you know, we can see we've done the measurements through ultrasound and they're just, they're going to be really big. And with this being your first baby, we just want to set you up for success. We want you to be able to have that vaginal birth. And the longer you go, letting this baby get bigger and bigger, the harder it's going to be for you to have that. Um, I feel pretty comfortable having a big baby. That doesn't bother me at all. You say that now, but trust us, we have seen this time and time again, especially with first time moms in your situation. And, you know, I've looked over your birth plan. I see that you want a vaginal birth. You want minimal interventions. We want that for you too. Um, But this could end up being a situation where you're pushing, you're pushing for hours and this baby's just stuck. And by then it may be baby's heart rate's dropping. And all of a sudden that's a cesarean birth for you. That's what we're trying to avoid. Um, And I can appreciate that very much, but I, are there women my size that do have, like they don't have those problems and can push their babies out just fine because as far as I understand it ultrasounds can be give or take pounds off and I just don't know that I totally trust that isn't she so good you guys <laughs> no. she's really no that was awesome though I, was I like in the to... back of my head I'm like I have this information I do this a lot actually when I talk with other people like I have a ton of information in my head I don't immediately go for that I ask questions and let them put their foot in their mouth ma- I don't know and then I yeah. bring in the arsenal <laughs> <laughs> actually you're wrong <laughs> so here's what I know about I love though did you guys hear the question that she asked how are you where are you basing that information off of she was kind of setting them up for a whoops moment yeah. <laughs> because it's true um, ultrasound measurements and guesstimates of your baby's weight are notoriously off and so um, but I want you to see for a minute what I was doing on the other side they're trying to make it sound like they're wanting to help you. Hey, you wanted this vaginal birth, right. minimal interventions. Yes, it would be an induction, but I think this is our best chance at achieving a vaginal birth. And, and it kind of puts you on the spot. And you have to imagine that when you're in this situation, there's the pressure. You know, your provider has other people to see. Um, you feel kind of put on the spot. You certainly want to do what's right for your baby. Well, and if I am talking about priorities, um, I really do prefer a vaginal birth over a cesarean. Right. There's a lot of pressure and vulnerability there. And so do you see why 
practicing a response like Stephanie just gave ahead of time and your provide and your partner too is going to be hugely beneficial to you. And the background of that is having the knowledge because if you would have come at me with that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this big baby. No, that sounds awful. And I do think maybe I don't want my baby to get that big instead of knowing that, yeah, but your ultrasound's probably wrong and everything else is fine. So leave me alone. It's a different conversation. You want to switch roles here? Yes. You ready? Yep. All right. So setting it up, Courtney's been in labor for a while. Um, I'm the nurse or provider. Whatever you want to be. I'm coming on in. Okay. Um, Courtney, you've been laboring, as you know, for over 24 hours now, and you're still only four centimeters dilated. I really do think in fact, I know it's time to start Pitocin. We've got to get this thing going. Look, I know I'm tired, but I just really don't want to do Pitocin. I don't want to go down that path. I'm worried it's going to spiral into other things. So I'd rather not do that. It, re- it really won't. We see this all the time. We, we do this every day. And I'm telling you, when we see moms in this situation, 24 hours, four centimeters, your body just needs a little bit of help. So I'm four centimeters right now. Right. And, and you've been four centimeters for the past 10 hours. But is that pretty normal, though, for women to be at four centimeters? I mean, am I not? That's still early first stage, right? What's active labor considered at? Yeah. So active, we it's it's true that four centimeters, we like to see four to six centimeters. But particularly since you've been laboring for this long, we really want to see some more movement. So before we get into a situation where this isn't safe for you and baby, we want to try and get things moving. So baby and I are safe right now, though, right? For now, baby and you are safe. And so could I just not like, what happens if we do nothing? Well, if you do nothing, you can get exhausted. Baby can get exhausted. And then we're looking at an emergency cesarean instead of having some control over the situation. So with Pitocin, what all would that entail? Because I don't have an IV right now. I really didn't want one. I want to be able to have freedom of movement. I know that that actually helps labor speed up. And so what would I have to do if I say yes to the Pitocin? Well, I want you to think about the fact that you've had this freedom of movement during the last 24 hours and we're still at four centimeters, but I just, it's a small poke. Almost every woman that goes into labor gets the IV. It's actually good for you. It's going to keep you hydrated. And then we just drop a little bit of medicine in that. And it's going to help pick up your contractions and get your labor moving. What are the risks with it? There's really not that many risks. Most women do great with it. Uh, most babies do great with it. So here's the thing. I know that active labor is six centimeters onward. And I know that it can take days sometimes for women to get to that six centimeters. And so I think I feel safest, um, you know, if if you guys aren't wanting me here because you're not liking the progress. If baby and I are doing fine, do I have the option to maybe go home and get that rest? We actually do think it's safest for you and baby to be here, especially since we're seeing consistent contractions. We want to keep track of your heart rate and baby's heart rate. Um, if you'd like, maybe we can go another hour. I don't know if I'm really comfortable with anything further than that. And we can come back and discuss. You know, I think I have my best chance of dilating a little bit more or getting into a stronger labor pattern if I'm relaxed at home. And so um, if we can have some time to talk about it, but I think that's the way we're leaning. I just don't see the need for Pitocin with my water still intact. It doesn't seem very urgent. Baby and I are doing fine and I'm not technically even in active labor. So I think that's what we're going to end up doing. Okay. I'm going to have to speak with your provider about that, but I'll get back to you. That's fine. Booyah. So good. I'm sweating over here. (laughs) So intense. They make it so scary. I know. And they, they really do make it seem like, um, not going with their prescribed treatment plan is the wrong is like the right thing to do. And anything other that is the wrong thing to do. Um, and the thing is, is that it's, 
it's really not okay for threats to be made. It's not a threat. It's like one of, it's a soft threat. Is there a word for that? You I just made one. <laughs> soft threat. It's a soft threat. It's a soft threat. But again, I had to have that knowledge. I had to know that. No, actually active labor is six centimeters on. And if mom and baby are fine, my water's intact. It can actually take days, some women, to get to that six centimeters. There's no reason to do anything different. That represents a lack of patience on the part of your provider. Now, we're not dogging on anybody who ends up choosing the Pitocin. Totally. You know yourself best. If you've been laboring for over 24 hours, you're tired, you just want to be done, the contractions are hard, and um, and you're not... I want to say try not to make an emotionally charged decision, but that's so hard to do when yeah. you're in the thick of it. Right. What I'm trying to say is if you opt for the Pitocin, that's fine, but it should be your choice and you should know all the benefits and risks that come with making that choice. And yeah. And when she asked me, what are the risks of Pitocin? She I'm not joking that I didn't say any. Yeah. There's really not that many, you know, your body produces oxytocin. It just kickstarts labor. Um, I didn't talk about the fact that it could create D cells in babies or that your contractions will be harder to manage and I know you want an unmedicated birth and a lot of times that is very much what happens we're not like not getting mean either way but it's important to like know that's why you have to have the knowledge that's yeah. why it matters that you come in there understanding the process because it's true that's that's just how it happens and we can talk about informed consent up and down all day long but the truth is it's not always going to happen that way and so if you don't have the knowledge with you when you go in you might not get all the information and you guys do you see how difficult it would be to relax in that kind of a situation and <laughs> relaxation is like the key even to if dilation. she's like I have you have an hour like <laughs> you're under the gun like right. your cervix is going to be like no I'm, I'm really not comfortable with that which is a common like I'm really I hear that all that I'm not really comfortable letting you go too much longer so what how about what I'm comfortable with how about yeah. my body you yeah, know that's a good point Makes and honestly crazy. in this scenario maybe you're like oh we live far away I don't really want to go home that's fine get out of the hospital or something's though. telling you yeah that's the next right step like I I need to be here. Yeah. Right. And that's okay. Maybe you decide, can we walk around? We're going to walk around outside. I want to stay close enough because that's what my intuition or my instinct is telling me. I'm not going to go all the way home, but maybe I'm going to go, I don't know, lay on a park bench and try to get, I don't know. (laughs) You, you figure it out, but you guys, these are going to be charged situations and you need to practice your response ahead of time. Right. And, and these are, we're giving you the charged ones. So there is a good chance if you are four centimeters and you've been contracting for 24 all this stuff there's a chance that they would offer you to go home so we're giving you the ones where it's going to be a little more difficult so don't try not to stress (laughs) yeah exactly and if you're laboring and you're like i just don't even want to deal with that you can have your birth partner do it if they know how you feel and you guys have had a moment or two to discuss it like no i I don't want let's get out of here let them take care of it yes this one's this one's a doozy you ready (laughs) steph Yes. Why are you putting it on me? (laughs) I have hit the over 35 mark, so it's fair. It is. Okay, ready? Yes. Um, Stephanie, we know that you have goals for birth. We're so supportive of those. Um, But you're also aware that you're of advanced maternal age. You're over the age of 35. And to be on the safe side for your baby, um, because the risk of stillborn does increase as, you know, with age, it is best for you not to go past 39 weeks. And so what we're going to do today is you're just going to see the receptionist on the way out. She's just going to tentatively schedule an induction date um, around 39 weeks for you. And hopefully baby comes before that. Um, But if not, then we're safe with that induction date. 
Well, do we have to do that? I'd rather not schedule the induction. I'd rather my job as your provider, Stephanie, is to make sure that I get you and baby safely through this experience. And so I'm trying to honor that um, by scheduling that induction. The research tells us that, you know, past 39 weeks at your age just isn't a great idea. Um, Can you tell me what happens after 39 weeks? Well, after 39 weeks, um, with women who are of advanced maternal age, that risk of stillborn increases. And I know how much you guys have been waiting and anticipating this baby. And so we want to bring you both safely through that. How, how much does it increase? Or how often do you see this? Or do you just do it induce every... I'm confused. Tell me more. Yeah, so the studies that... I actually don't know. Is Courtney talking now? <laughs> I don't have that data pulled up in front of me right this minute. Um, so she's going to put in fake my, numbers. Yeah, That's I'm going to put in fake numbers. Are you ready? Goes up 100%. Duh. <laughs> 75% of statistics are made up on the spot. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Sorry. You're Those so would be good. my like legitimate questions that I would throw back at them. So this is from data that they've analyzed after the fact. And so honestly, no, I don't really see a lot of my patients that are in this age range go past 39 weeks because um, when they understand what the risk is to their baby, um, they see that the best thing to do then is to be induced. Um, I'm still feeling very strongly that I would like to not induce and allow my body to do what it's meant to do what it should do in fact I've had other babies prior to this one and I always let my body go into labor on its own and it's been fabulous I can't imagine mechanically or medically trying to do this so I'm more comfortable um maybe whatever you need to be able to check on baby and me to make sure that we're okay I think I just want to keep moving forward with this and I don't want to schedule the induction I'm also afraid it's going to get in my head so I just don't want to schedule the induction and how many weeks along were you with your other babies when you gave birth? The first I was a couple days early. The second I had on my due date and my third I actually had at 41 weeks safely at home. I was going to use that against her just now. But but honestly, you guys, her last response was a really, really good one. I love that she she herself introduced an alternative, right? So if the provider is genuinely concerned about bringing baby here safely, making sure everything's okay, did you guys hear the option she presented? You know, you kind of wish that it's the provider presenting that option, but she was like, well, what can I do to make you feel comfortable with me letting my body go into labor on its own. And that's where we start talking about things like non-stress tests or, um, and maybe this is old school, maybe they don't do this anymore, but my mom um, had some preterm labor and they would send her home with a contraction monitor Hmm. so that they could just kind of keep an eye on things. I know now you can buy like the little Doptone things and listen, baby's heart rate. I mean, right, you can can work something out with them um, that makes both of you feel comfortable and if they're resistant to that like look I will be crazy vigilant all you know we can listen to baby's heart tones at home you know every few hours or something I'll do kick counts kick counts I'll come in for non-stress tests if they're still not comfortable then I would be wondering in the back of my mind if they just were looking for an induction because that's typically a bit easier on their schedule and really important that this conversation doesn't happen when I'm 38 weeks right right because then I can interview other providers um yeah other providers aren't even going to look at advanced maternal. They're not going to use that verbiage. They're not going to say anything other than they'll probably as a way of like, it's their job to inform you, let you know that there are some risks with the caveat being, but we're sure that everything's going to be fine. We need to make you aware of these, but it's totally, you know, normal, natural. You've had these other births before. We don't 
suspect anything is going to be different this time. We'll keep an extra eye on mom and baby. So we'll have you come in for some non-stress tests. That's how the conversation should go. But this like constant pushback or the controlling, like we've got to do it this certain way, especially when you have given them the information prior, letting them know I'm comfortable with this versus this, then it becomes a little, I don't know that I want to continue with this provider or just knowing that I'm going to have to have some knowledge on on the back end so that I can get the birth that I'm looking for. All right, you guys, we just walked you through three different scenarios where we kind of played both sides. And again, I want you to think that let's say you are laboring for over 24 hours and contractions are still coming and you're tired and you're exhausted and they're presenting it from a point of view of um, we're just trying to help you out. Right. And again, they're not they're not malicious. They're not malintent. This is just, this is what they know. And this is their approach to birth. And, and they're trying to help you out in their way, but it just might not be your way. So in summary, when you're advocating for yourself, here are the steps that you need to take. Number one, you've got to have a vision for your birth. I'll link in the show notes. We'll link in the show notes where you can head back and get that dream vision for your birth. It's in a prior episode. We're going to run you through an exercise to be able to do that. You have to know what you want for your birth so that you can create that birth plan. Number two, you need to vet your provider. These are conversations you want to take in that birth plan and have those conversations, ask those tough questions, those questions that are going to, like Steph said, either make them put their foot in their mouth or, you know, <laughs> so oh, mean. okay. So the ones that have gone unmedicated that you've worked with, like what, what resources did they use, right? You just, you want to dig deeper to really get to the bottom of how they feel and their birthing philosophy. You've got to know your stuff. If you didn't catch that from this episode or every other episode we've ever done, <laughs> you're missing the point. You have to be knowledgeable about what your options are before you go in and have to have that conversation with your provider. Right. Also, what constitutes a true emergency and something that's not an emergency where you have some more options and choice. Um, Next, you've got to practice your responses. I love that in our um, My Essential Birth Course members group, we try to do, um, we call them labor rehearsals, but we role play with them. (laughs) We try to do it at least once a month where we present scenarios just like this and we put them on the spot. Yep to sort of test where they are. And we've gotten a lot of feedback that, oh, that was so good for me. I wasn't prepared for that kind of a situation. Thank you, because now I can think through that and practice that response. So you and your birth partner need to be able to know how you're going to respond to stuff. Yeah, and I I do think we see that more often. It is easier for a mom who's had a bad experience the first time around to be a little more stern about what she wants the second time around. So especially for you first-time moms that are listening, this is going to be really important, the practicing the response once you have the knowledge. I think I just wanted to like put that out there. And lastly, we don't want you to go up with your fists up. We don't want you going up to your birthplace thinking that everybody's out to get you. (laughs) But we do want you to be prepared that to know that these scenarios, they, they happen more often than we would maybe like to see. But we want you to have a mindset that is confident, that is empowered, and that feels a lot of peace going into that experience, knowing that you're prepared for whatever comes your way. And I think that rubs off, right? Yeah. On the birth team involved, when you walk into your hospital setting and you're confident and they can tell you know what you want and you you know what you're talking about, it's very different than a mother who walks in timid and nervous about the experience. Everyone can feel that. So it's all to your benefit to do all the preparation that you can and to walk in confident and empowered. This may be the first time, especially if this is your first pregnancy, first baby, that you're really having to work hard to advocate for yourself. But I promise that this is a skill that will serve you 
the rest of your life. It's going to serve you if you go on to have subsequent pregnancies. It's going to serve you as you advocate for your child in all kinds of different settings. We're here to support you and we're cheering you on always. Do you guys remember how I said that we had a download of provider questions and then I reviewed it and I was like, ooh, I've got some better ones. Well, we've updated that now. So if you haven't already, head to our website, myessentialbirth.com, click on podcast, find this episode. And at the bottom of the show notes, you're gonna see a links mentioned area. That's where you can find that new download of provider questions that you can use to help dig deep. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you.